Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I don't know whether to start with the Lions and the fact that they beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs primetime first game of the season. Dan Campbell, legend forever, biting kneecaps, drank all the Kool-Aid, et cetera, et cetera. Or uh, unfortunately report that Evan, on the last night of his bachelor party last night, if I, I wouldn't, but if I described to you what I witnessed on that last night, you, people wouldn't even believe me. They think I'm making it up. You'd say there's no way that that was the Evan Lobsinger that we know and love. He didn't do anything bad, but it was just like, it was a, a side of Evan we've never known. But uh, that man is not doing okay today. So in this place, we have our, our Dylan Larkin uh, reverse retro jersey, and it's just you and I, Brad. So Brad, you are going to have to deal with my unfettered Lions hype today. You guys beat one of my favorite team's biggest rivals. Uh, go nuts, my friend. We are all Lions right now. We've, we said earlier that the Lions and Bills are like yeah, NFC, AFC, brother, sister teams. Same vibes. Oh, 100%. I wish for the day that this rivalry becomes a rivalry because that means we have a good problem on our hands and then the podcast gets more entertaining. Uh, but on the podcast side of things, it's going to be incredibly difficult for you and I to not spoil who we just interviewed and that interview will air on next week's show. <laughs> I can see you almost did it there. I was gonna, I was going to make a joke, but I'm like, nope. If I even hinted at what the joke was about, it would give it away to everybody immediately. And so, folks, we're just going to have to wait. But that doesn't mean that you'll have to wait for any good, exciting news because we do have some start of a lot of good news to come as we wrap up the offseason slowly because we still have some major life events first before we get to the season. And we're going to have, yeah, a flood of uh, exciting news for the Red Wings and the Winged Wheel podcast. So, folks, without further ado, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and plenty more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And Evan is doing his best to just be a person right now. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about some major contracts that either have been signed or will be signed and how they compare to what most cider might be looking for. I have a feeling that I'm going to slowly lose an argument with Brad on this one as uh, he's his predictions are coming more and more to fruition as of late. We'll be taking a look at Jake Sanderson, Rasmus Dahlin, what's going on with Trevor Zegris, and where most cider fits into things. We'll be talking about Red Wings prospects, what's been going on in the PWHL as that saga unfolds, some small notes about current Red Wings and former Red Wings, and we'll see what else we get into before overtime. Before that, exciting, exciting, exciting news, Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA version 5. This is our third year doing it in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. This is going to be our fifth time running it. As I mentioned, the Red Wings, as always, thank you to them for being amazing partners in, in this planning process. Some exciting additions to this one. A Winged Wheel podcast, Detroit Red Wings co-branded Beanie is going to every ticket buyer, or I should say the first 400 ticket buyers. So get your tickets quick, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings. If you've not been to a Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA, here's what happens before the game, we are going to record a live episode of the Winged Wheel podcast at the LCA in a location that we'll let you know in advance. It's usually the Budweiser Beer Garden. 
It's going to feature Ken Daniels, and we'll see what other special guests we get out there as we uh, approach the day. We're not going to spoil too much. You get your Wind Wheel podcast, Detroit Red Wings co-branded beanie. There's going to be merch, giveaway, prizes. There's going to be food and drinks available for you. And then we all go sit in the LCA together in special Winged Wheel podcast seating sections. We have lower bowl tickets. We have upper, upper bowl tickets. We also have gondola tickets. So that is the same level that the commentators, so the play-by-play, Ken and Mick, as they call it in the in the gondola, you'll have the same view as them. So it's a really unique view. Me and Evan sit up there every time, actually. Brad, you are in representing the Winged Wheel podcast in the lower bowl. And we also have folks in the upper bowl as well. But it's going to be a really fantastic time. If you want a different kind of view, the gondola is great, but that one does sell out quick. But no matter where you're sitting, it is a fantastic time. We usually have a post-game get-together and meet-up as well. So Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is a fantastic event to hear a live show. If you're into meeting us, which I'm not sure why you would be, we'll be there shaking hands. We highly encourage you to ask Evan to sign things. It's very funny. He gets really uncomfortable. And most importantly in all of this, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation directly. So the Red Wings, as usual, are incredible in this, and they are going to make a donation to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And so you are contributing to that by being part of this. So you get to see a Red Wings game, Red Wings versus Bruins. You get a special Winged Wheel podcast discount on the tickets. They are discounted tickets. You get your Red Wings Winged Wheel podcast co-branded beanie. And all the other benefits that I mentioned. So again, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or go to the link in the description. And one more note, if you want to support the show and want to go above and beyond, the Winged Wheel Podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. If you want to do, take that extra step and join the Dub Dub Club. You get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast exclusive Discord. You get access to our overtime bonus episodes and during the off-season our Uh, midweek episodes are all bonus episodes as well, which are a little bit of a different pace. We take some more evergreen topics and record those for you. In addition to all of that, you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast majority of them going to our Patreon supporters, and we'll be doing the same this year. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. It's also the only reason we can make winged wheel podcast nights at the LCA happen. Okay, let's jump right into it here. There were some big splashes in the spaces of young players being signed, young defensemen being signed, and the one that actually was registered, so we'll talk about that one first, was for, well, both of them were for Atlantic Division opponents, but Jake Sanderson signed an eight-year, $8.05 million per year extension already with the Ottawa Senators. So this will kick in after this last season on his ELC And then he's going to be making $8.05 million a year through 2031-2032. Jake Sanderson has only played 77 games for the Ottawa Senators. Has obviously looked good. They believe in him. But this is a big swing for them. Yeah, it's the type of gamble you have to make when you're a team, you know, on the rise. Because, you know, we've talked at length over the years about how all the top teams have like really good players on really good contracts because then they can use that extra money to fill in the gaps. And I don't know if Jake Sanderson's ever going to be worth 8.05, but the odds are very good he will be. The Senators are betting he will be. And if he does exceed that number in his value, that's a huge piece to a team that's trying to contend. Now there's always the risk because if he's not, 
they're burdened with it for a long time. And, you know, when traditionally when these types of contracts have been signed to like a really young, and I'm not talking like any player, like top 10, top 15 pick type of player, it's worked out way more than it hasn't. You know, that's how McKinnon was on that steal of a deal forever. You know, Dylan Larkin was making basically nothing. And you can run through a bunch more than that. And yeah, it's it's a risk, but I, I think it's a calculated risk that a lot of teams should be taking. And, you know, I'm still a little irritated that other teams can have fun with their contracts and we can't. Because <laughs> don't don't think that, Point zero five wasn't added for the exact reason you think it was. Which is? Jake Sanderson wears number 85. Yep. So. he They wouldn't take his first suggestion of just making it a straight 8.5 million per year. Yeah, yeah. They they talk, <laughs> They talk. negotiated him down from there. So you mentioned that this is going to be more common. And we've seen this over time with the NHL. And I think it's gaining a lot more steam, as you mentioned. Essentially, you pay your best players as early as possible. There are going to be examples of that failing, and there will be. But in general, as this league changes and as they work with the cap structure, and now as we see a release from the artificially depressed caps because of all of the COVID fallout and revenue, et cetera, I think we're going to see a big rush of this as teams are a little less scared to commit their money. Now, the numbers are what are surprising here. And we'll get to the other contract in a little bit. But folks saw, you know, a touch over eight million for Jake Sanderson. And Look, you don't have to watch a lot of Jake Sanderson to know. He's a really good hockey player. And for how mature he looked on the ice and for how much he can control the game playing defense already in just his first season, there's no getting around it. I don't care who you're a fan of. Jake Sanderson is going to be a serious part of that blue line, barring something unexpected in his development. Is every year going to be as progressively impressive as he continues to improve? Probably not. That's never how any prospect goes. But the idea is by the time... He gets into his prime years, that eight million is going to look like a pittance, or at least a very good value contract. So it is really smart, I think, in general. You are going to see, you hope to see more of it for whoever you're a fan of. Red Wings fans are hoping to see that with Raymond Insider upcoming. And then they obviously are going to have a bunch of ELCs after that. But it also does beg the question of what are they going to do with their cap structure? They have Stutzla, they have Brady Kachuk, they have Shabbat. Now they have Sanderson, and they're all going to be making $8 million plus, but that's a conversation for a different day. Josh Norris is making just a touch under $8 million, but I digress. Now, the number is, what I mentioned was the surprising part. You know, that's bigger than what we've expected. Usually we're so used to seeing, oh, they committed him to eight years really early on, and you see a much lower number. However, the rise in cap, I think, is... There's no agent who's being fooled by how much the cap is going to go up here. Like they know exactly how much future money is being stolen from them if these numbers are low because you're applying it to the current cap. Like the salary cap is going up significantly. It's going to come fast, and these players are not interested in taking a lower amount. So eight million does seem high, but you think about it for a little bit, and you're like, nope this this is kind of squared away. It is still a risk, though. Well, you got to risk it for the biscuit. I haven't heard that since legitimately I played. Maybe bantam hockey. Oh, it's old, but it should be used around hockey more, you know, considering what's a, another word for a term for a puck. Yeah, that was actually used quite literally when I played. Yeah, exactly. No, but that, what you mentioned there about the rising cap and 
versus today's cap hit versus the cap hit in like 2027 is the most relevant part about this. Because as like, I don't think there's a person on the planet who goes, if you paid Jake Sanderson $8 million for the season, he just had promising though it was, that's a terrible deal, but you're not paying him that. And you're not paying him that percentage of cap. He's going to improve as a player. The salary cap goes up. His percentage of cap hit goes down. So we could be looking at a market in four years where the average number one defenseman is making $11 million and Jake Sanderson, who could be a number one defenseman, is sitting there making $8 million. Looks like an absolute steal at the time. And that's what agents are negotiating in favor of. Not the 2024 salary cap increase. They're negotiating for the 2027 salary cap increase. Yeah. Because they know. And GMs hate that. But there's no way around it because the salary cap went up basically every year until the world ended, essentially. Mm-hmm. Is that likely to happen again in the term of this contract? Possible, yes. Likely, no. We'll call it no. So <laughs> The Winged Wheel podcast forecasts the next virus to hit the earth. Yeah, it might not be a virus. They might get creative this next time around. Aliens. Who knows? Aliens. Yeah, that's right. Aliens with viruses. No, Brad, please. We can only take one calamity at a time. I mean, I just watched Oppenheimer last night. Anyways. <laughs> You're going to confuse some people. We're digressing way too hard. There's a lot of ways this world could end, Ryan, is all I'm saying. Yeah, no. So what that cap increase looks like year over year, who knows? Probably not significant year over year. But if you look at the broad term of an eight-year contract, for the years that are likely going to really matter for Ottawa on this one, which they're on the same trajectory as Detroit. So we're looking at, you know, they're looking at years four to eight of this contract. That that could be one of the better contracts in the league if Jake Sanderson becomes what uh, the Senators are projecting him to be. Now, that factors into Mo Sider quite a bit because Mo Sider has proven more than Jake Sanderson has. He doesn't, he's not negotiating against the same GM. It seems you can look at the different negotiating style between what Steve Eisman does and what Pierre Dorian does. Pierre Dorian very obviously likes this move and is willing to do it and is happy to make the splash and you'll figure out the cap when you get there. Steve Eisman grinds. He grinds his guys and he gets them as low as possible. He gets them to buy into the system and he says, if you want to win in Detroit, here's how we do it. You hope that he's taken some of that away from what they did in Tampa. But yeah, he's he grinds, and which is why we've learned to not expect things to come in early. We saw how arduous the Dylan Larkin process was. But Cider has proven more. So Sanderson comes in at 8.05. Brad, your take on the show has always been you think Cider is going to start with a 9 if it does come in at a, a long-term, like, 7-8 year deal. I've always thought mm, they're probably going to get him, or I think they can get him in under 9 I saw the Sanderson deal, and my first thought was, damn it, I think Brad's right. I, I think based on that, Sider has a really good case to negotiate for nine. I'm not saying like he's head and shoulders above Sanderson in every single way for the rest of his career, no. But in terms of what Sider has shown on the ice so far, he that that's his case. Like He should be coming in higher than that. Sanderson doesn't have the counting stats to justify this contract, even for a rookie but again, it's it's a contract based on projection. Mo Sider has two years of impressive counting stats for a young defenseman and a Calder trophy. Oh, and by the way, his offense isn't the calling card of his game. I don't see a world where he signs long-term 
and gets anything less than nine million. Uh, you know, he might even push for ten with the way these contracts are going. And he may very well be justified in doing it because, again, his agent is going to push the, yeah, we don't care what his cap it is the next couple of years. You need him to be at a reasonable cap it in 2027, 2028, 2029. And nine and a half million could be a very reasonable cap hit for them in the, for him in those years. So they're going to take that position. Eisman's obviously going to leverage whatever he can to get that number down. And again, this is all on the assumption Mo even wants a seven or eight year deal. Yeah, that's if, a great point. If I'm him, I am pushing for a bridge all day. Like, all right, you won't pay me what I want on a seven or eight year contract. I'm going to sign for two years. I'm going to have, you know, two more big years under my belt. And then I'm going to take you to the cleaners. So it, it's going to be a really, really fascinating negotiation because I've, made this opinion public before and I, I will make it again when you have a player like Mo Sider coming out of an ELC prerogative number one is eight years you get him for as long as you can because he will never be worth less than he is now that's the reality of it every game he plays from now until that contract is signed is in all likelihood going to increase his value so obviously it takes two to tango. And again, if I'm Mo Sider, I'm not talking extension till the end of this season. And I put up, you know, something closer to what I, what he did in his rookie year. It's, and again, Eisenman should be pushing for eight years all day, every day. So it's really going to be fascinating to see what this comes in at, because unlike a lot of other contracts, I think the range of possibilities here is much wider than a typical player coming out of an ELC because of the cap and the position he plays. To give more context to this conversation, it's been rumored, and this is the second time I've seen a, a Darlene, the contract is imminent rumor, but they're in the same range, so we're going to give this one some air. Rasmus Darlene's rumored extension with the Buffalo Sabres is apparently eight years with an AAV of $10.5 million per year. That's a big number. I want to preface this conversation by saying I think Rasmus Dahlin is worth that money. Or if he's not yet, he will be in short order. He was a first overall pick for a reason. He has shown the pedigree of a guy who's going to be a first overall pick. I think he's going to be in contention for, if not win, Norris trophies. You hope that Sider is in the same league as Dahlin over the course of their career in terms of the accolades that they're competing for. So I'm not saying Rasmus Dahlin isn't worth that. What I'm saying, though, is that's not a big discount for the Sabres, at least not yet. Is Darlene better than Sanderson? Yeah, I think so. I don't think that's a hot take. I think he's significantly better than Sanderson, and that could change over the course of time. But Darlene, it looks like he could be, if not already isn't, uh, already is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. And they're paying him like it. That, if you're trying to sign Mo Sider long term, I think you're right, Brad. I don't think Sider will get $10 million. But any agent worth their weight is going to look at that contract if that's how it ends up going through and saying, well, they're paying him appropriately. Well, they're paying him appropriately. And that's what we want too. We don't want the discount because he got eight years and he got 10 and a half million. Yeah. And like I said, Mo's going to have leverage here despite coming out of an ELC because, you know, the, the way I be ultimately look at this is so again, let's say this season passes and Mo has a good season, 
what I assume will be closer to his rookie season than this past season, at least by counting stats. And you're neg- he's negotiating next summer. If he asks for nine and a half million over eight years and Eisenman's not willing to give that to him and then Mo comes back, all right, then we'll bridge. And let's say it's a two-year bridge deal. So Mo Satter gets another two years under his belt. Do you think that number's coming in under nine and a half? No, not a chance. Not Zero a chance. Zero chance. And I, I pushed on you, and I still think there's a chance I could end up being right here, and it would be the Eisenman factor if it does, that he comes in under nine long-term. It just depends on how much he buys into Hockey Town and how much, you know, Claude Lemieux, who is his agent, requisite, ring the bell, Claude Lemieux, yes, that Claude Lemieux is Mo Sider's agent. Depends on their approach. But yeah, if he bridges, there's no way the next deal, barring him, you know, falling terribly off what we think he is and should be, no way comes under nine and a half. Exactly. So that's why I would push for an eight. And if he's asking high, you're probably still better off to do that, you know, because Eisenman's worked magic in contract negotiations before, but not always. I don't think Dylan Larkin got anything that would be classified as a discount. He got fair market value. Dylan Dylan came in in the slot. Like yeah, right. Appropriate. Yeah, Dylan came in right where he should have, which wasn't a massive overpay, but absolutely would not have been classified as a discount. But he also signed with the Red Wings despite being a pending UFA. So that was Eisenman's big victory there is he didn't let his star player go to unrestricted free agency. So I still classified as a win for Eisenman. But yeah, if if the NHL market keeps going the way it's going, Eisenman is likely one of the best negotiators in the league and it still might not be enough to get discounts on any of these contracts. Which is part of just accepting what you have. It's also why... Every contract is under a microscope. I know I have said quite a bit, well, the cap is going up, so this one doesn't hurt so much for a three- or four-year deal, but that is going to catch up to you eventually. Prashanth Iyer actually wrote a really great article. He posted on wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog, and it touches on the importance of your cap structure even when you're years out from when you need to be competitive or at the top of your cap ceiling because it's all just a dance to make sure you're in the right position for when you need to strike. And striking isn't just signing a big name UFA or trading for a top ticket player like to bring it signing is, or, or, or the big, the big strike is, you know, most Sider needs a contract. Marco Casper needs a contract. Oh, look, Nate Danielson is actually unreal and he needs a contract. You need to be prepared for these kinds of things. And that's why cap structure is so important. I will say, and we've t- we said this time and time again, and even multiple times this episode, the NHL is going to be the wild West as the cap opens up. This league isn't good at navigating the salary cap. The excitement comes from teams who do it poorly, and there's never a lack of excitement in this space, so to speak. Unless you really don't like it. I know some people are like, wow, there's too much salary cap discussion. And yeah, it's a little, call us dweebs and you're probably right. But Welcome to the offseason. Yes, but teams always make mistakes in this space, usually in unrestricted free agency, but still it does happen and... A lot of those teams are going to be getting relief. A lot of teams are going to be looking to make a big splash with some some of this newfound cap space, and they're going to go crazy in unrestricted free agency. Players are going to be taking different size deals. Just because an agent is factoring in how much the cap is going up doesn't mean that everyone is appropriately going to be scaling things up. Some teams are going to get monstrous steals, 
And some teams are going to overdo it and they're going to look and say, wow, we could have got that player in, you know, one, 1.5 mil cheaper a year or maybe even more. It's going to take a while for this to regulate. And it's not going to normalize until the cap stops rising, which who knows how long that's going to take. Again, we're not going to predict the next calamity, but I digress. So yeah, if you're the Red Wings, I agree with you, Brad. You're doing everything you can. And if you have to overpay by a little bit to get Mo Satter in on an eight-year deal, because the bridges could be risky. Now, you say that, if you think, oh, the bridge could be risky, who's to say Satter's angle isn't bridge at all costs? It could be. And if I was him, it would be. You know, get a couple more seasons under my belt to go out there, prove I'm the number one defenseman for this franchise. And then when the salary caps, I don't know, four, five, six, seven, eight million dollars higher, all right, pay me. And you got to buy more UFA years now. That's the reality. Yeah. Because if you want him on an eight-year deal, either on this contract or after the bridge, there's going to be UFAs on there, and UFA years are more expensive. That's how the negotiation goes. So Cider would love to burn a couple more years off of that and then get paid. And here's the thing. In the next three years, uh, the Red Wings are not going to be Stanley Cup contenders. Spoiler, I hate to disappoint everybody. Maybe maybe we'll get some playoff rounds in there, but... So most Sider's cap hit does not matter in those years. So you go, oh, well, if you get him on a two or a three-year bridge deal for only $6 million, that's a great cap hit for him. And it is, not when it matters. You're hurting yourself when it's going to really matter because he's going to probably make 10 to $11 million at that point. So, and again, it's a fine dance because if I'm Mo, I'm, like you said, bridge at all costs. And if I'm Iserman, eight years at all costs. So... What's going to end up happening? I haven't the faintest idea. Something something has to give. And this is the negotiation behind the negotiation. It's not just the number and it's not just the amount of years, right? There's just so much positioning going on. It's not the end of the world if they bridge. But before the summer, I would have thought, mm, Raymond, I can see bridging just because he'll want some more time to prove himself. Insider, he's just a classic candidate for the what Sanderson got, what Darlene is likely to get. Now, after seeing these things come through as teams and agents and players are a little bit more comfortable with the notion of the cap rising and how much it's going to be, I wouldn't be surprised to see both of those players bridge now. And the rumor is Trevor Zegris, who obviously has a tie to cider, not the same position, but same draft class. You'll remember <laughs> the famous video where we wanted Zegris at the draft and have happily been proven wrong since, but Zegris still a fantastic player in his own right. He's going to take a bridge, most likely. So the players have more and more agency. They have more and more leverage every year. And young players, especially as this league is more and more dominated by young players every year, are going to exercise that leverage more than we've ever seen. It's just the natural progression of the NHL, but combined with how this the cap is increasing, it's going to make for some wild times. Austin Matthews keeps taking relatively short-term deals because he's just ride in that cap wave as up as much as he can. Yep. You know, it's a LeBron James method in the NBA. He never goes full term on his deals and he gets paid the max every time it goes up. So yeah, uh, I've always been surprised more hockey players don't do that. And it seems to be more of a thing now. It's still not as prevalent as I thought it would be, but you could tell some players are catching on. All right. We'll monitor that as we go. I don't think that we are necessarily imminent on seeing something i think a contract could come through at any point but if either player is holding out for a bridge 
or the team isn't in a big rush to to sign them just because they're they really want the eight-year deal we could see cider and raymond play out the last years of their elcs here for x percentage of the season without even a mention of the contract so it really is up in the air Let's talk some other prospects. We've already mentioned the Red Wings prospect tournament is taking place this upcoming weekend in Traverse City. And, you know, we've talked about the players who are interested in seeing how's Will Linder going to do as he transitions into the North American game. Is he going to continue his progress? Everyone's going to be watching Sebastian Cosa. How's Nate Danielson going to do for the first real look against his peers trying for the roster, although he's going to go back to the CHL? Carter Mazur, what has his strength building in the offseason done for for his game? A couple other players I'm really kind of looking at. You know, talk about Mazur in a second, but Elmer Soderblom. He's almost fallen off the radar and through no fault of his own. There's just been a lot of excitement in the Red Wings prospect space. And, you know, they drafted Danielson, they drafted Sandine Pelica, they signed a lot of players to their roster who, by all rights, are going to be roster players or should be. Soderblom made, shocked everyone by making the team out of camp last year. He somehow has, in my mind, maybe even less of a likelihood this year to do the same thing, or he has a tougher task ahead of him and there's a lot more pressure because he didn't end the year in Detroit. He played a good, good chunk in Grand Rapids, but was also hurt for a good portion of it. So the task ahead for Soderblom is significant. And I think the job for him starts in what will be an easier challenge with the prospect tournament. Yeah. Again, and he's so physically dominant over his peers. Now you get him into a tournament with players younger than him. It's it's almost to the point I don't want to see him use it. I want to see skill-wise where he stacks up against these guys. Because we know if he wanted to go into this tournament and physically dominate, he could. Yeah. He absolutely could. But the talent level, relatively speaking, is intriguing to me. Because again, like you said, he's been in the AHL. He's been in the NHL. He should be one of the best players on the ice at this tournament. He absolutely should be. And he has the ability to do that from multiple angles. So, yeah, I am, I'm actually really fascinated to see what, uh, I don't even know what to call it, what style he's going to approach this with. I almost think that you need to see the physicality, though. Like You, you want the physicality as part of his game, right? But I don't think him dominating physically in this tournament proves anything. No, but the Red, you know how the Red Wings love their edge in a player? And yeah. if he's not coming in near the top of the lineup, which that'll be a hard sell for him. Who knows? He maybe makes a big jump and is able to execute, but if he wants to be in the bottom of the lineup or you know that middle six maybe, he's going to have to not lose his skill. I'm not saying the physicality in lieu of the skill, but he's going to show that he has to have the edge and the bite in his game. And even if, yeah, he, he shows a little bit more skill, they're going to want to see early on because if he doesn't really present as a player who has that bite to his game, has that edge. Well, that's not the kind of Red Wings roster that Derek Lalone and Steve Eisman have been looking for so far. But I digress. Speaking of edge and bite, Carter Mazur. You know, talking about NHL readiness, I think it was last episode, Max mentioned that the big question for him will be how much strength will he have been able to put on to start coming into this season. He was, he's been fantastic since he was drafted. He rocked it in the NCAA last year and now is going to be playing with the Griffins most likely, but he could be making some noise out of camp. And if he has built NHL-level strength and ability to translate that game to the professional NHL game, then he's got a shot to make some waves or at least make camp pretty interesting. So to me, this is also the start of the test for Carter Mazur. 
Yeah, unlike Soderblom, he hasn't done it at the professional level yet. I He got his cup of tea in the AHL last year and, and looked really good in it. So obviously a very promising start, but yeah, the, the physicality is the key for him because we know what he brings as a player and we know his skill level is good enough to translate to the NHL, but can he play that style at his size in the NHL, which is a legitimate question. He's not small, but he's not huge either. So that is uh, just a couple notes here on the prospect tournament. More to come on that, and we'll see how things roll out over the next week or so. Some minor league news, some league notes that I tracked over the course of the week. <laughs> the reporting on Debrink, it's so funny coming out of Ottawa. It's always so personal with Canadian media. Like the If you want to know why players are like, I don't like playing in Canada, yeah, some of them it's like weather, some of them it's high taxes, a lot of the time they're like the media markets are nuts and the pressure from the fans and the microscope you're under in the media is insane. Like debrink it's gone. Look, I don't want to say that I would have much of a different opinion because if a team, if a player essentially forces way off the team to another team, because he really wanted to play for one specific team really badly, Ottawa fans don't owe to bring it anything. They don't have to like him. They should boo him when he plays in Ottawa. That, that's you're going to do what to bring it did. You have to take your lumps, but they're still talking about him. It was reported that he didn't like his role as a second line winger behind Brady Kachuk. So that I say, well, yeah, you know how many players in the NHL don't like their role? Cause they think they deserve bigger roles. So many of them, every one of them. That's not on the first line. Yeah. Like that is a tale as old as time. So someone asked me, they're like, oh, what do you make of this? Is this like an attitude thing? Is this going to be a, no, 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 no. Let me tell you, it's okay for, I really mean it. It's okay for Ottawa fans to, you know, be upset with Alex Dabrinkit. You know, Ottawa made the trade they did knowing this was a risk. They took the risk. It didn't pay off for them. They got somewhat of a return. The situation is done, but so many times players want a bigger role. They don't get it. And that's, that's just part of being on a hockey team, actually. Like, You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who played hockey for any extended period of time who didn't think, man, I should have been getting first-line minutes or I want to be on the power play. I remember when I played, like it took me a long time to get you know first-pairing minutes because they just I didn't have that reputation as a player. I had to work my way on the team, and I was frustrated. And you just play. <laughs> it's different in the NHL. There's contracts. It's more of a professional workplace. So, yeah, it's, it's a, almost a silly topic to even discuss, but no. This is just a very normal thing that I think is being blown out of proportion because Canadian media, media market, and it's the off season. You need something to talk about, I guess. And, you know, we're not any better. Yeah, we're insane. I don't think we're that crazy. We complain about the stupid stories right after we're done talking about them. That's right. Yeah. So we are better. We're self-aware of how stupid we are. Yes. We're just barely one iota better. Some other news kind of relevant to the Red Wings. The Chicago Blackhawks have announced that they will be retiring Chris Chelios's number to the rafters on February 25th against the Red Wings, which is a nice touch. Chelios obviously uh, storied history with both teams, so that'll be cool to see. He won more cups with the Red Wings. More of his personal success, though, with the Blackhawks. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> He's got three Stanley Cups. None of them came with the Hawks. Anyways. That's right. That's right, and that's what Detroit will have. It, it is good of Chicago to pick a game against Detroit, though. It makes sense. Yeah, they could have done Montreal as well, but no, it's it, yeah. this was the right choice. Also, a note, I always find the CHL-NHL agreement to be interesting. Elliot Friedman reported that it could potentially work out where Shane Wright will be in the AHL 
this next season, even though he didn't technically meet all the eligibility requirements to be playing in the AHL. If he doesn't make the Kraken, Friedman gets the sense that the CHL actually agrees that it does not make any sense for him to go back to the CHL and he will be able to report to the American Hockey League. So very quickly summarize the CHL-NHL agreement essentially stipulates if and when a player who comes from the CHL is drafted out of the CHL can play in the American Hockey League as opposed to the Canadian Hockey League. And it's skewed towards the CHL because they can't lose all of their best players right away. Otherwise, what NHL teams would do is they draft top players from the CHL. Okay, great. They didn't make the roster. Instead of sending them back to Major Junior in Canada, they bring them to their American Hockey League team and they develop there with better competition. So, This is actually going to start hurting the CHL soon. The more and more players this happens to, players are going to start choosing different routes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're not going to let me do that? Okay, I'm going to go play uh, in the USHL instead, and then I'm going to go play one year in NCAA, and then I'm going to jump pro. Because I'm not going to sit in juniors till I'm 20 when I can play year of NCAA and be in the NHL or AHL by the same age. So, you know, it's good for the CHL as a league to have their top talent not being uh, filtered away, but it's bad for the players. And am I more concerned about lining owners' pockets or player development? I'm going to be more concerned about player development. But the irony of it all is in a roundabout way, if they don't change this agreement, it's going to end up hurting their bottom line for the exact same reason. Yeah, it's almost an analog to the whole prohibition versus, you know, whatever legalization of whatever argument. Like there's, I can understand the argument from whatever side, depending on what topic we're talking about. But unless you create a path that is a concession, if you're the CHL, yeah, you're just going to start losing talent as te- players in their development are going to be thinking well ahead in this, or they're going to be leaving the CHL or whatever it may be. So you hope that this is a start of an understanding and, and how this will change. So the next time they have an opportunity to re- renew that deal, you want to see some difference. And it's like, it's better for NHL fans too, selfishly. Like the whole Shane Wright having to go back to the CHL thing was ridiculous. It really was. Red Wings fans felt it with Michael Rasmussen. He made the NHL essentially because the CHL wasn't for him anymore. He was physically dominating there, and it wasn't real, really a test of the player. And he wasn't really ready for the NHL, and it hurt his development. It really did until they were able to to kind of give him some proper development time with Grand Rapids and then coming back to the Red Wings and, and making it how he should. One more topic, the PWHL. Last episode, Brad, you mentioned that they're is a specific system wherein teams can sign up to three players before a draft that happens. And now every one of those original six, we'll call it teams. So that's Boston, Minnesota, Montreal, New York, Ottawa, and Toronto. Yes, Minnesota is not a city, but that's what they're going to call the team, just like the Minnesota Wild in the NHL. So the Professional Women's Hockey League, those six teams have signed their three players each. Yeah, so now that it's actually exciting because now the league's starting to take shape the the biggest names in the world have you know landing spots and the fans in that in those areas can start getting hyped you know if you're in Boston you get to watch Hillary Knight now I don't think anybody was surprised that Marie Philippe Poulin signed in Montreal and you know even Ottawa was able to get Brianne Jenner which uh, most people had her pegged for Toronto so that was you know a, a good get for them and obviously Mike is Andy Hart signing in uh, New York with the first one to cross a border of all the signings was you know huge so. 
Not anything that we weren't expecting in terms of, you know, how the process played out. You know, a lot of players stay, staying near their hometown. It's just fun to see the league taking shape and like the rumors around the draft have started up. You know, uh, supposedly Taylor Heisey is going to be going first overall to Minnesota. Apparently Alina Mueller and Kristen Richards are in the mix for Toronto at second overall. It's It feels real now, now that players are assigned to teams, even though those teams don't have jerseys or like team names yet. But, you know, it's like, okay, you're a Montreal fan. You can gear up, you know, for Marie-Philippe Poulin. You're a Boston fan. You can gear up to watch uh, Hillary Knight for a full season. It's it, it feels real now, which is nice. All right, and before we get to overtime here, some announcements for the show. Again, Winged Wheel Podcast Night, Saturday, November 4th against the Boston Bruins. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings to get your tickets or go to the link in the description of this episode. Get them fast. The first 400 tickets get the co-branded Detroit Red Wings Winged Wheel Podcast beanie. In addition to that, we do have a very exciting interview coming up next episode. It's going to be not the typical Sunday. We're going to have to delay it by a day or so. We'll see how things go. I am getting married, and so I don't think Mel would love it if we had to leave the pod or the wedding to record a podcast at some point, or even the day after feels a little fast. But we'll uh, we'll be back with you next week, and then after that is going to be full steam ahead as we get ready for the season. So very exciting episode, and to apologize for the delay, we will have that interview in there for you. In addition to that, we do have some more announcements coming up. Regarding what's coming up for us this season, maybe in the event space, maybe in the you know podcast universe space, but I'll save those for now. All right, let's jump into overtime, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. Again, the Discord, the bonus episodes, the bonus overtimes, the giveaways, and so much more is what you get access to. You also help us do things like Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. You help our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. You help us run shows like Expected by Whom, which is part of the Winged Wheel podcast kind of content universe hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro, and so much more. Some questions from our patrons for overtime. CNODS says, hey guys, in prep for the new season, can you touch on the biggest differences between our team and a true contender? Is it really just top-end talent, or are we missing a lot more? I'm excited for the season, but cautiously optimistic. It sounds... So stupidly simplistic that it can't possibly true, but it literally is top end talent. If you put the Red Wings third and fourth lines up against any other fourth line in the league, even the top teams, they're right there, if not better. The Red Wings have phenomenal depth at forward. You know, Vili Husso is still a big wild card in this. You know, they need at least stable goaltending, and he did provide that for 80% of last season. But 80% isn't good enough if you want to be a playoff team. Yeah. Their defense is probably the one area they have the top end talent in Mo Sider, and the depth is a little waning, but they could stand to, you know, probably add a second pairing guy, like in terms of quality. You know, you don't want to screw around with the Wallman Sider yeah. top pair. The reality is you're hoping right now that. Sandine Pelica, Edmondson, Willinder will be those guys. So it's kind of a tricky, you don't want to sign a guy to walk them away from that role, but I, I digress. But yeah, the short answer is, especially at Ford, they lack top-end talent in a significant way that it puts them behind the eight ball by a lot. Yeah, it's 
there's so much that goes into it. And it's not just the players. There's habit building, there's system building, there's understanding how to win when you get to the next level. Like <laughs> when the Red Wings are good enough to make the playoffs, this team's going to have to understand how to play in the playoffs. That's not going to be easy. It's not, you know, a mindless platitude to say this team needs to know how to win. I know Toronto's a dramatic example, but look how long it took them to learn how to win anything. Tampa Bay, they had to go through a lot of pain before they became a perennial Stanley Cup winner or at least competitor. There's the next step and then there's the the next steps in the next step. Every task has a subtask and that kind of development takes time. So it's not just the players and personnel, it's the understanding and experience. So I'm not saying it's all doom and gloom and when they get there, they're immediately going to get beat down, but it's not an easy path, you know? Yeah, we should talk about that in more depth in a future episode. Yeah, we should. Coyote season tickets in anywhere but Tempe says, I asked this question last year and I just wanted to see if any minds have changed. Are the Red Wings better off with Cider and Raymond or would they be in a better place with Zegras and Sanderson? I'm convinced Sanderson is the pick in 2020 if the Wings would have taken Zegras as many thought they would when on the clock in 2019. I still think Cider and Raymond, even in a down year, Raymond still had good production. And I would say as good as Sanderson is, and as much as I like Jake Sanderson, Cider is still significantly ahead of him. Yeah, I'm still taking Cider Raymond. The gap between Cider and Sanderson is bigger than the gap between Zegris and Raymond. Ask again after this season, though, because we'll see how Raymond does. Yeah, if Raymond doesn't bounce back... with the expected progression from Sanderson, then that could change the topic. But as it stands now, expecting at least a decent bounce back from Lucas Raymond uh, makes the answer pretty easy for me. Babel Landeskog says, how about those Lions? What would the Red Wings equivalent game need to be for a similar hype and comeback? All right. So it's tough to put an equivalent in hockey to football because like every game in football means so much more than a single hockey game. But if the Red Wings go out in the season opener against a really good team like the Devils, beating them would not create that type of hype. But if they smacked them, like they go out 6-1 blow to the Devils to open the season, now the trains are rolling. The only thing I can think of that was an equivalent was, remember the Tampa Bay game last year where Vasilevsky's the only reason they lost? Yeah. If they had won that one and then they had actually secured that wild card spot, everyone would look at that game. Yeah. That stretch of hockey, but that game would have been. Just dominating Tampa, yeah. Yeah. Cletus says, I saw a video of Stevie Y in Grand Rapids this week. He was asked about the pressure to make the playoffs. Do you guys get the same sense that the fan base slash ownership is growing impatient and Steve's job could be on the line soon? I don't buy it, but the media seems to feed into it. It's the catch-22 because we expect progression from the Red Wings. I think every fan, everybody in management, Iserman himself this year, expects the Red Wings to take a step forward this year. Where that water gets muddy, what is a step forward? Because I still think there is a reality. The Red Wings take a significant step forward this year and finish seventh in the Atlantic. Because if Ottawa takes a step forward, Buffalo becomes what we all think Buffalo is going to be this year. And then you still have the big four who are all still projected to be playoff teams. You know, the Red Wings could, there's, there's a reality here. The Red Wings improve by 10 points and still finish seventh in the Atlantic because it's the Thunderdome. So if the playoffs are the be all end all, yeah, there's going to be pressure because they're probably still a couple of years away from that just because of the nature of their division. 
So it, it's got to be that, okay, but are they actually getting better? Because incremental improvement is still improvement. And I think most fans and ownership would be happy with that. But if the Red Wings stag get stagnant at any point in the next few years, then we start looking at Eisman going, okay, what's actually happening here? I don't think his job is anywhere close to being on the line. No. That's just, I can understand people maybe having not such a blindly positive sentiment towards the rebuild. And I've said many times on this podcast, there's nothing wrong with being impatient and wanting success now. I think if you do want to take a nuanced take, what Brad said is exactly right. They could get way better. And just through circumstance out of their control, it just doesn't, it won't work out that way. But I have no problem with people who want success. Do I think ownership wants it? Yes. Do I think management wants it? Yes. We've heard Steve Eisman talk about it openly. Is his job on the line? Oh, he's one of the most secure management individuals in the NHL, plain and simple. It does not matter what you think about the Red Wings rebuild. He is not going anywhere anytime soon. Nor should he. Give Walman the Heart says, if the Wings go with Brad's preferred stack top line of Debrinkit, Larkin, Raymond, should they just try to throw a defensively responsible second line at opposing teams' first lines or just match teams' line for line? There's no good answer there. That's the reality of it. But I, I think, yeah, getting a line out there that can man it, weather the storm is probably the play. Because again, there's no set, whatever combination of players you throw on the Red Wings second line, yeah, the, it's still going to be significantly below league average. So they are not going to be able to go shot for shot with most, well, with any first line and most second lines. But if they can at least keep the puck out of their net at a reasonable level, then yeah, that's probably the play. Bill Nye the Thigh Guy says, hey, Dub Dub boys, what traits in a prospect do you value most? For me, it's always been hockey IQ because of Datsuk and Zetterberg. They were able to age extremely well in a fast league. I've always looked forward to the meetups and always have an absolute blast. Cheers. Hockey IQ coupled with pace. You don't have to be fast to play fast. And we've seen many very smart hockey players not translate to the NHL because they can't do it at NHL speed. So, you know, you can have whatever hands, whatever shot, whatever skating, you know, obviously it has to be to a certain level, but if you can think the game very well and think it quickly, you can succeed at any level. I'm wondering how Connor Bedard is going to change the, the game and ask the question of what does release look like because we've always focused on shot but Red Wings fans know how many good shooters weren't able to turn into guys who could release a puck at the NHL level so how can you look at release at the NHL level the thing is Bedard's release is special but it's the easiest skill to teach in reality if you have a player who comes into the NHL with elite hands elite skating but can't shoot for crap nine out of ten times they're at least an above average league shooter within a few years because you can Dylan Larkin, great example coming out of the USNTDP awful shot for a prospect. Terrible. I wouldn't call him an elite shooter right now, but he seems to beat goalies from distance. Now he finishes at like an abnormally high rate based on weight, like his quality of shot in my mind. It, exactly. So it's something that can be taught and it can be taught to just about anybody. So I am curious to see what the Bedard shooting effect has on the NHL as a whole, not necessarily just the stars. Nairno says, I'm sure we're at a point within the offseason where we're asking the same questions over and over again. Yeah, we are too. They say, so you're allowed to invite three hockey players from across the entire history of hockey to dinner. Who would you invite and why? 
Oh, man. Gordy's got to be one of them here. Gordy is absolutely the no-brainer here. And then it's, do you go for the interesting conversations, the entertaining conversations? like Rocket Richard would be a nice one. That'd be a cool one. I would almost want someone from every era, mm-hmm. but like someone very smart from every era. So I'm going to go with a bit of a weird answer, and I'm sure the I can think of better answers if I really took my time, but immediately coming to my head, I want someone from the Gordy era and he spans a lot of eras. So my cheat answer there is Gordy because he is our window into the forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies. I want to talk to someone from the eighties because that was its own unique animal. Nobody better to talk to about the eighties than Wayne Gretzky. Yep. From the 80s to 90s into current hockey because he was here for the entire transition of it. He was there for the fall of the Iron Curtain for when Soviet hockey came over to North America. Might as well bring a professor. That's a great answer. Igor Larionov, I think, would be a fascinating dinner conversation, especially when you couple his mind with Wayne and Gordy. Yeah. I think that would be truly fascinating. Listening to Ryan Hinn in the shower says, hey guys, new patron here. Strange name, but thank you so much for the support. We really appreciate it. And uh, welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Says, I've been listening to you guys for almost two and a half years now, and I've gone back and listened to every episode. I'm actually almost through for the second time. That is insane. Uh, now, <laughs> now comes the part where you tell me I'm crazy. My question is, if you had to guess the exact point totals of the top five scorers on the wings this season, what would those totals be? Points? Yeah. So let's not assign the players, just the points based on this. What was Larkin? Larkin got 79 points in 80 games. Uh, well, I got to give names to give context. So I'm, I think I'm going to go with the three obvious ones first. I'm going to go Larkin 84. I was going to say Larkin 84. Debrinkit 79. Okay. Raymond 68. Okay. And then I don't know who I would have beyond that, actually, because I think that could go a few ways. I don't think there's going to be anybody else breaking 60, for sure. I think even 50 is probably unlikely. Um, I think Mo Sider does 50. I'm going to go Mo Sider 52 and David Perron 49. I like Larkin at 84. I'll say to bring it... Actually, hot take. I'll say Raymond 73 to Brink 70. There's no science behind this. I'll say Cider 58. I'm getting pretty optimistic here. And then we'll go. We'll go Cop 48. But that might have been too optimistic at the top. That's a good question. Okay. And that is all we'll take for questions now. We're about to record our Patreon exclusive overtime episode. Again, folks, Winged Wheel Podcast Night ELCA tickets just released in the period of time between announcing it and now we have already sold 50 tickets. So for those of you who want one of the Winged Wheel Podcast exclusive co-branded Detroit Red Wings beanies, I highly suggest you get your tickets soon. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings or go to the link in the description. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't say thank you enough. To all of our Patreon supporters, none of this happens without you. If you want to support the show but can't do Patreon, another way you can do so is by leaving us a rating and subscribing wherever you get your show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever it seriously does make a difference. 
to all of our name level supporters on Patreon. Thank you so very much. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Everybody Loves Raymond, Croner's Left Knee, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, A Frowny Face, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, brand new name level supporter, Brian J. Bauer. Brian, thank you so much for your support and welcome to the WW Club. Buck the Suck Eyes, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Kassam, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Pro Brain Deblage Brad, R.A. Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciates About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buff Chess the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Late, Corey Prita, D. Daniels, Taryn Fick, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Derogatory, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Klim, or Klim, I should say, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt K. Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, O. Ophelia. On the banks of the Red Cedar, there's a school that's known to all. Its specialty is winning, and the Spartans play good ball. Steven Tatarsas, the Hodag, the Hat One Two Three, winging it in San Diego, wings fan, wings fan in Alaska, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you a little bit delayed next week, but it'll be worth the wait. We promise. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.